the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, you're listening to Meeting of Minds with Jerry Boyer. Um, and the mind you're going to be meeting today belongs to Tom Spence, who's the head of Regnery Publishing Company, uh, formerly the head of Spence Publishing, one of my favorite publishing companies of all time. Uh, but he's with a much bigger house now, um, and I'm glad to see that as well. Um, and he had an editorial in the Wall Street Journal recently about Banned Books Week. Let me get the exact title right. You, maybe you didn't know we were in Banned Books Week, but we were. Um, and uh, the title is Banned Books Week Isn't Actually Interested in Banned Books. If it were, conservative writers like Abigail Schreier and Ryan T. Anderson would be on the list. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So why'd you write this op-ed? Well, Banned Books Week has been around for a long time. And uh, since the early 80s. And every year when it rolls around, I, uh, my, I'm always slightly annoyed. I go between being annoyed and amused because the whole thing for years has been an exercise in hypocrisy. In fact, one of my, my old colleague from, from Spence Publishing Days, a guy called Mitch Muncy, wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal maybe 15 years ago poking fun at Banned Books Week. And the point there was none of the books that you will find promoted in you know, your bookstore or at your public library during Banned Books Week has ever been banned in any real sense. And I mean, I would define banned, and I think most people would, as meaning that a book has been removed from circulation. That somebody who wants that book, someone in the general public who wants that book, can't find it, or at least it's very difficult to find. Uh, the place that you'll find most of the titles from the banned books week promotion is the bestseller list. <laughs> so they're, you know, not, not really banned. What they have in common is not that someone from the government or big brother has removed them from the market. What they have in common is that they almost entirely express a, a left-wing point of view on something. And usually usually something having to do with sex or race, mm. uh, you know, kind of the woke topics. And the books that have always been promoted on Banned Books Week have been challenged. That's the word they'll, they'll use in the small type, meaning that some parent somewhere has found, you know, some book extolling the newest frontiers of the sexual revolution in their kindergartner's school library. <laughs> right. And goes and go and objects to that. Right? Yes. That's and, that's banning. That and they never take banning. them they don't take them out of the school library. No. I mean it's almost like, oh finally a parent came forward, you know, and asked about this so that we can consider this a challenged book <laughs> and therefore upgrade it to the banned list. 
Yeah. Which we which yeah. we can then go ahead and sell the living daylights out of this book and turn that into a marketing uh, a marketing uh, gimmick because it exactly. is. I mean, it, it amounts to a marketing gimmick at this point, doesn't it? Oh, that's that. Yeah, that's what it is. And you know, I'm in the business of selling books, so I don't begrudge somebody his marketing gimmick. <laughs> it's it's that's what it is. Right. Um, so so we've been making fun of banned books week for a long time. What? Uh, provoked me to, to uh, sit down and write this op-ed this year was that in 2021, I argue, book banning has actually appeared in the United States. You know, but before that, it's been very hard to argue that that there's that any book is banned in in a meaningful sense. Uh, you know that that hasn't happened in in a long time. But uh, now. There, there are real efforts and sometimes successful to ban books, meaning make them unavailable to somebody who, who wants it. And um, that's started happening in the past year. And guess what? None of those books is featured in your ban. Of course not. <laughs> Abigail Schreier, Ryan Anderson, uh, is it Deborah So? Uh, none, none of the people who are um, who are crossways with the alphabet agenda, um, yeah. who are probably the most banned, that's probably the most banned category of authors. Yeah. None of those people actually get to be extolled by being banned. They're that's so right. banned that even their banning, the mentioning of their banning is banned. I mean, that's <laughs> that's really banned. That's really banned, yeah. And and what finally pushed me over the edge of rage and got me to sit down and write this, this op-ed was, an episode with the that, that we had with the American Booksellers Association, which is one of the chief sponsors of Banned Books Week, and that that involved uh, Abigail Schreier's book *Irreversible Damage*. And um, I, I I mentioned this in that op-ed. The, the the ABA, the American Booksellers Association, has a, a program they call a white box mailer, and they if a publisher pays a, a fee, uh, the ABA will put a review copy of, of a book into a small white box that's mailed every other month to their 750 member independent bookstores. So it's just a way of advertising your book to the book buyers, right? And independent bookstores are not generally friendly territory for regnery publishing or you know, any other conservative uh, authors or publishers. And we decided to send them Abigail's book, this book on transgender craze among uh, teenage girls, because in a funny way, it has is, it is attracted support for some, from some unexpected quarters. There are a lot of feminists who generally probably wouldn't be too enamored with Regnery's line of, of, of books, but who are on the on the wrong side of this transgender thing, uh, because they they have decided that turning girls into boys is, is anti-girl, not really a feminist goal, right? right. <laughs> so, uh, so we sent it with with and the and the uh, the materials that we included with the book. You get a you get a a one page, you know, flyer was quotations from these, these kind of people. 
we sent it out and uh, it, the, the box arrives at a, at a bookstore in Brooklyn and one of the employees there Brooklyn. opens it up and suffers an experience, Jerry, that no American should have to go through. <laughs> she, she was confronted with an objectionable opinion, you know, that had been printed. And <laughs> so like a good offended modern American, she went directly to Twitter and <laughs> tweeted out to the world that the ABA had, you know, offended her in this grievous way by sending this book. I believe she was seething. Seething. Yes, seething. that's the word. Yes, Isn't that an interesting seething. word? <laughs> I mean, ticked off, bothered. No, the, the existence of this book makes me seethe. You know, right. I mean, that's a, it's a pretty narrow yeah. worldview. Anyway, I know you, <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, I mean, I see books all the time that I don't agree with. I have, I think I've yet to seethe right. over a book. Well, the difference between you and me and this lady is that if you and I do seethe over something, we seethe alone. And, <laughs> and the, the ABA uh, felt her pain and within hours of her tweeting this out, issued an apology that is more craven even than anything I would say to my wife after I've got in trouble, you know? <laughs> like, it's just like, how could we have done this? How thoughtless. Whether and, we, and, whether she's seething or not. I, right. I, I doubt she seethes much. She doesn't seethe as much as this woman does. Okay, no, right. I don't think. Yeah. So um, anyway, they, and in particular, they apologized for, for committing an act of violence, violence in sending this to her. No one, and then a few days later, the ABA issued a longer, sort of more formal apology that said all the same things. Hmm. And, um, and vowed, you know, never to do something like that again. No one ever got in touch with Regnery Publishing, which had paid for this. Did you get promotion. your fee back? Did they return the fee? So, well, that's okay. a long story. Right, I go, began go writing to them. Yeah. And I wrote several times and got no reply at all. We eventually found out, fortunately for us, uh, the ABA is is not terribly efficient in their accounting department, and we had we never hadn't yet been built, so <laughs> we hadn't paid for it yet, and uh, we're not planning to. Yes, uh, but they never, no one ever got in touch with us for our comments, or you know, to hear here or with Abigail Schreier. This they issued what was really a nasty defamation of of Abigail Schreier sent out to the whole world of books. Um, and this was all just a few weeks before Banned Books Weeks was to begin. Hmm. With, with the theme this year, uh, what? Uh, censorship divides us. Uh, something unites us. Books, books, unite, books us. unite us. Books unite us. Yeah. Censorship divides us. Okay. Oh, which is, books oh, unite us yes. if we all agree on everything. Yes. <laughs> Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400.
I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. In my experience, books don't unite us. I never thought that was their job. <laughs> I, I, I never once thought that the job of a book is to kumbaya us together. Um, you know, I mean, it's almost like the job of a book is to do the opposite. I mean, if, if it's something we already believe, then what's the book for? Exactly. Well, it just shows out what an impressive person you are, Jerry. Yes, but, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and just to be a little Girardian here, I don't know if you're into mm-hmm. Rene Girard and the, like the scapegoat mechanism. Yeah, yes, yes. Censorship unites us, right? Because if a group comes together and censors something... That is a point of unity. Rene Girard would call it the unity of, you know, everyone minus one or everyone minus whatever, 49%. You can do it that way. Um, So the banning of a book is an act of uniting. It's just a bad act of uniting. It's the uniting of the majority of the power structure in any institution against the unpopular opinion. Which is expelled and scapegoated. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, I don't think they're I reading a lot I of Gerard of that over line, there. Censorship unites us because that 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 is exactly right. That is right on. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't have responded in two hours, right? This is a <laughs> unity point. I'm kind of reminded a little bit. I told you the story about t- Target, which I'm an investor in, and um, uh-huh. within a couple of hours of someone tweeting an objection, um, and I don't remember now whether it was So or Schreier or both. I think uh, it was Abigail Schreier. It was Schreier. Within a couple of hours, they went out and said, "Oh, sorry, we didn't know, and we're not going to sell this anymore." Mm-hmm. So, which, what, I mean, what kind of decision-making process is that, right? And then there was a <laughs> then there was a kind of a pushback, and then they kind of put it back on the website. And then I reached out as an investor because I'm a shareholder, you know, <clears throat> or represent one and. It's my right to know. And they said, yeah, you know, that wasn't a good process. We'll do a good process. So then they wrote this extremely vague statement. You know, we will not publish something which, in our opinion, harms a group or, you know, something like a group um, in a significant way, which means they can do whatever they want with that. They Mm -hmm. didn't publish that statement. And then they quietly banned Schreier and so again. They they did it secretly. You know, Profiles and Courage is not on their book list um so it's fascinating to to see that and then i I challenged them on it and essentially there's you know what can i i said well okay that's the statement who's on the committee that interprets the statement well it's not information i can share at this time well okay when can you share that information so i mean it's it's kind of a situation where personnel is policy in that there's no there is no policy which is good enough to make up for intolerant gatekeepers Right. So what was the response to your op-ed? Um, it, well, I, well, the ABA did not respond to it as far as I know, <laughs> nor did the American Library Association. But um, we've received, you know, the, a lot of uh, supportive messages. Um, and I found that most 
people have never even heard of Banned Books Week. And uh, here in the book business, you know, you hear about it, but but right. most people out there there haven't. Um, I hope that it at least alerted people though to to what's what's starting to happen because the thing with the um, the ABA mailing, well, that that was silly, and you know there was a Twitter storm, and Abigail Schreier is nobody's fool when it comes to Twitter. And so we ended up selling a lot of books, not through the independent bookstore members of the ABA, but, you know, uh, from the publicity we got from that. So being, being banned or canceled in is, is, is good for business up to a point. The target story was, was the same, you know, when, when they removed the book, we could make hay with that. The problem comes is if you are removed from Amazon. Yes. And that's at the point at which it's no longer fun to be canceled. Right. And uh, that has that's started happening. Hmm. Um, so Amazon, as I said in this op-ed, has been very good for publishers like Regnery in a lot of ways because you know, all of these, these bookstore buyers who used to be the gatekeepers of the, of the book business are generally, you know, pretty uniformly left-wing in their views. Some, some are more open-minded than others, but, but that was always an obstacle to get, to get conservative books into bookstores. Hmm. Um, Amazon comes along and the, the world's open to us. Yes. And we, we can get any of our books in front of any reader in the whole world. So, so that's great. So I, you know, I'm not, um, well, all, I think all publishers have a love hate relationship with Amazon. That's, that's the love part. But uh, with the flip side of that is that if a book is not there on Amazon, it's, doesn't it's really no have a chance. Yeah. Right, right. Right. Because they, you know, they, Amazon's market share varies with genre, but it's, you know, between 60 or 80% of the books sold, depending on the, the, the field. Hmm. So uh, if, if Amazon doesn't take, doesn't carry your book, it's invisible. And people have started to realize that. And they, the first, the first book that, uh, that I'm aware of anyway, that, uh, was the victim of this was Ryan Anderson's book when Harry became Sally, right? Which in the past year, and that book had been published a few, I don't know, three, four, five years earlier, and it's an it's an excellent book. It's very temperate. I mean, I, Ryan's a good friend of mine, and I don't mean this as an insult, but it's almost boring. You know, it's it's a it's a very kind of philosophical look at the question and legal, and there's there's no flame throwing in right. in book uh and he bends over backwards to be charitable sympathetic and so on as does abigail schreier but that book disappeared one day poof hmm. no no word to the publisher in counter books no word to the author no word to anybody it was just gone hmm. and and no explanation so uh, the the same thing almost happened, well, when we heard that, 
we thought, aha, we've got, <laughs> what about Abigail Schreier's? Yes. What happened to that? Right. And we didn't even know at the time, but a, a group of employees at Amazon called, they, that calls themselves Glamazon filed a petition and uh, the process started. There was a formal review process. Some sources inside Amazon told us that it went all the way to the top. Hmm. And I mean, I can't document that, but apparently it, it, it did. And somebody very high up at Amazon decided not to cancel this book. So, so Abigail's book, Irreversible Damage, is still available on Amazon. But there was, as I like to say, that book was on trial for its life. And neither the publisher nor the author had any idea. No one, no one came to us for, you know, our side of the so story. So no opportunity to offer a defense. Absolutely not. No, we yes. had no idea that it was under under review in that way. It was interesting in my conversation with Target. I haven't had this conversation with Amazon because it's not in the portfolio. Okay. Apple yeah. was, so I had the conversation also, with Apple. You can't talk to human beings at Amazon. There's only computers there. Oh, I see. <laughs> Got it. Um, so I had constructive conversation at Apple and up to a point with Target. And I said, well, what about an appeal process? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we, we have an appeal process. I said, well, how does that work? Well, the publishers know how to do it. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me how to do it so I can tell a publisher how to do it. And it was like, it was, I was so clearly getting the runaround. Yeah. You know, that it's like, well, there's a process in place for the process of dealing with the process. Okay. What is the step? <laughs> Give me the step in the process. Well, they should already know it. Yeah. Do you know what the process is? No. No. No, you're, you're a book that's been banned by Target. You had a book that's mm-hmm. been banned by Target and you don't know the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I'm not the one at our company who's really dealing with them, but I don't think we know the process because it certainly, no one here was pursuing any process when her book disappeared from Target. Yeah. We were just, yeah, standing there watching it happen. Right. So, I mean, in essence, again, there's no real good faith thing going on here with these. They're yeah. Just... No, 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 no. Uh-uh. There's, there's fear. I, you know, I think the people that, at Amazon or wherever that are doing this, certainly at Target, they're just scared. Hmm. You know, they're, they're afraid they're going to get, have a Twitter mob come after them. And so they are more scared of the angry woke Twitter mob than they are of Regnery, I guess. <laughs> well, when are they going to be scared of the United States Senate um, and yeah. the possibility of another Republican president? Um, and the fact that big corporations have one friend in Washington, uh, historically, the Republican Party, and they're losing yeah. that friend by doing this stuff. They're losing that friend. Well, actually, it's funny you mentioned the United States Senate, because I, I have here. This, this is a letter from Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, who decided that it was time for Amazon to be afraid of the United States Senate, but for different purposes than you're talking about. Um, she sent a letter, it's dated September 7th, to the CEO of Amazon, in which she presents him with an index of prohibited books, <laughs> which she, the Grand Inquisitor, has, has compiled. Uh, the subject of the letter was books uh, about COVID and the pandemic. 
And as you probably noticed, the, the secret here, the, the way you get things done is when you grab power is by putting it all in terms of misinformation and public health. So uh, misinformation means anything, any information that Elizabeth Warren does not agree with or finds inconvenient in some way. And so she, she sent this letter, which is oh, about five or six pages um, to Amazon, basically threatening them, saying, you need to adjust your algorithms so that these books disappear. No one should find these books. And uh, one of the letter came to my attention, particularly because one of the uh, forbidden authors is Alex Berenson, whose book we are about to publish in, in November called Pandemia. And he has self-published um, through Amazon four kind of booklets at various points in the last year on the pandemic. So again, good for Amazon. You know, they, they provided a, a platform for Alex Berenson, although those all got canceled at various points. Get, getting Amazon to keep them on the website was practically a full-time job for Alex for, for a while, but they're there. Um, but Elizabeth Warren doesn't like it. So the, you know, can you imagine if a United States Senator sent a threatening letter to Amazon or, or anybody else in the book business saying that, that uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' books are full of misinformation or that uh, 1619 project. project is full of misinformation. And, you know, if you know what's good for you, You'll, you'll, you'll get rid of those things. The sky would have fallen, right? Right. And no one has said a thing about what Elizabeth Warren is doing. And the thing that strikes me about this from a risk management point of view, because again, I approach this as an investor. Mm -hmm. um, and so these companies say, well, we do these things for risk management. And I'm saying, I think you need to think harder about what risk management is. A Twitter storm isn't risk. Uh, new regulations, uh, change in the in the environment when it comes to litigation. These mm -hmm. things are risk, getting crossways with the only party that's ever been willing to give you any benefit of the doubt. Because an Elizabeth Warren will never be happy with an Amazon. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. ban Alex Berenson. Okay, got to ban something else. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, there's no, there's no way that they're ever going to be able to ban enough. They're a big corporation. Jeff Bezos is a multi-billionaire. Um, and so they're the enemy no matter what. But there's at least a hope of having some relationship with the Republicans, except not now, because not yet. these things are highly visible and they make us angry. We even seethe once in a while. <laughs> we're not mainly seethers, but even we're starting to seethe, not, not, yeah. by the, not by the existence of the books, but by the banning of the books. Marco Rubio has legislation coming out shortly, which basically is going to make it, you know, corporations are going to have to justify their engagement with politics as being in the interest of the shareholders and not, what, not in vague ways. I mean, they have to actually show, you know, mm -hmm. that their business, the business judgment rule has to be modified. So they actually have to, sh you know, show we, you know, we run the company according to our business judgment and that the arguments have to be strong ones rather than pretty much any argument will go. So yeah. Rubio and the, the big mo in the Republican side now is pretty anti-corporate. 
Yeah. Now, I don't particularly like that. I still believe everything I did, you know, you know, for the past 40 or 50 years about corporations mm -hmm. and freedom and all the rest of it. But I do recognize that the political risk is harder on the backlash side than I think it is on the woke side for these companies. And I think yeah. they, they need to take that seriously. They, yeah, they may uh, they may find out something about that in, in the next couple of years. Yes. All right. So um, what uh, so you, you mentioned that you've got Alex Berenson coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. um, uh, by the way, I th the observation you made, I think, is important in that, you know, when when she tries to ban a book, she's probably not going to ban it. There's a kabuki theater aspect to, to this. Um, and and in, in, in many ways, whether they intend it to help us or not, it does help us mm -hmm. right now. I mean, I think Regnery is extremely well positioned because if some big co publishing company says, OK, we can't do Josh Hawley, you know, because he did this on January 6th, you know, um, that's it. Uh, then you can come along and say, all right, here's the city of refuge. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm seeing conservative media and publishing even being a city of refuge for non-conservatives. In other words, if you're a liberal, if you're a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, if you're just an old-fashioned liberal, there's no place for you in the liberal institutions. They're probably the place for you now is in conservative institutions in many ways because yeah. we have a freer conversation. Alex Berenson is the perfect example of that. Alex is a uh, you know former New York Times reporter. He says over and over again, I'm not a conservative. I'm not a conservative. And uh, but he is, I think, the classic conservative, I'm sorry, liberal, you know, mugged by reality. Right. Uh, I met him the first time uh, a year ago uh, at Hillsdale College's Constitution Day conference here, which was the only event that took live event that took place for a long time here. And uh, so Alex, who's this, you know, Born and raised in uh, New York, a Yaley, New York Times reporter. You know, he had, I'm sure, never seen, well, he'd seen the world. He'd been an embedded reporter in Iraq. He'd seen a lot more of the world than I had in certain ways, but probably didn't know many people like folks I grew up with in Texas. <laughs> and he was, he was there at this conference with speaking to a big room full of mostly, I would say, septuagenarian Hillsdale lovers, like <laughs> all of these nice people from the, the Midwest and the South who send in their $10 donations or whatever it is, you know, to Hillsdale College and, and came to this conference. And I mean, he had them in the palm of his hand. You, you could have heard a pin drop when he was talking. Everyone was fascinated, loved hearing what he was saying. He was received very warmly. And I, you can just tell he was trying to think like what to make of this. And at that point, I began trying to persuade him to come publish his book with Regner. Ah. He was always, he was very, always very polite about it. It never gave us the cold shoulder or anything like that. But for quite a while, he was, I would say just, you know, a bit, Friendly but standoffish, and 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 freely admits, says, "Look, you know, my part of my thing, my cachet, is that I'm a former New York Times reporter, and I'm I'm nervous about publishing with Regnery, a, a conservative publisher." And 
So I just, I stayed in touch with him. Um, eventually he, he came around and now he's, he's a, a very enthusiastic reg, regnery author and, and, and is, is thrilled at, you know, kind of where his book is headed and very grateful. Hmm. And, and see, not that he ever thought we had horns, but I think he's really come to appreciate what a, a place like Regnery offers. And it's been great for us because, um, you know, I don't want, I would prefer that not every single one of our authors be a, uh, you know, died in the wall NRA member or you know, whatever else. It's nice to have some some real diversity. Diversity. Look at that. Where do you find diversity? Well, come to Regnery. Hmm. Um, so it's been a really uh, rewarding experience working with Alex, as, as well as just a lot of fun. He's a brilliant guy, a blast to work with. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's figured out there's, there's no home for him at the big New York publishers anymore. Hmm. Well, actually, one person who helped us convince him of that was, uh, was Abigail Schreier. She, I, I talked to her. I said, "Oh, you know, I'm talking to Alex Berenson. He's just, he's just kind of nervous about publishing." She says, "Let me talk to him." So I put him in touch. Is Abigail a conservative? Y- yes, yes, okay. she she is. Um, she is, <coughs> um, you know, an interest, a very interesting thinker. She's a conservative who has a, an ability to speak to a very broad audience hmm. and uh, she's great. I mean, she, like Alex, she's just brilliant. Um, so for example, in her, uh, I mean, she doesn't try to hide that she's a conservative. And, and if, if I had to sort of put her in a, a pigeonhole, you know, in, in the big uh, uh, desk of conservative. Is she a neocon? Is she a paleo? Is she a national con? Whatever all these things. I I'm, I don't really know. You know where where she would she would go. But um, in her in irreversible damage and in the many interviews she's done since it was published, she's always very careful to say, I'm not I am not quarreling with uh, adults who want to go down this road. Um, I don't really even really know what her personal opinion is, is about it. Um, she, she says, I am talking about teenage girls here. And there's really no uh, reasonable, reasonable people of, of varying opinions should all be able to agree that operating, doing a mastectomy on a healthy 14 or 15 year old who's obviously very troubled is, is not a good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wonder to some degree if what we're seeing now maybe illustrates the degree to which there really is no neutrality in the sense mm-hmm. that um, Abigail Schreier doesn't have a quarrel with adults who want to undergo sexual reassignment surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, Deborah So, liberal feminist, Right. Very pro-gay, very pro-trans, just not children. 
right? Mm-hmm. Very scientific. Abigail Schreier, again, very scientific, mm-hmm. meticulously document documents. Um, it's almost like it doesn't, we, we kind of have this sense, maybe many of us have this illusion that there is a common ground zone. And if, <laughs> and yeah. if, we're, if we're not flamethrowers, if we appeal to fact and science, or in Ryan Anderson's case, it would be natural law, mm-hmm. that this is common ground and common sense, and that we can sort of make progress that way and be accepted. And I think it's whether that was ever the case, we were reaching at a point of like epistemological consistency. You know, it's a little bit like in C.S. Lewis, he says this a couple of places, but one of the places is that hideous strength where the world is sharpening up and the differences are sharpening and neutrality is disappearing. Mm-hmm. There's almost a sense of it does. You can you can be J.K. Rowling, you know, the wokest woman in Britain for 20 <laughs> years. Yeah. Right. And you can have all of that in line and you say one thing that's out of line. And you're just another what? KKK, neo-Nazi, trans-hating, fundamental, whatever, you know, whatever they want to call you. Yeah. So maybe we kind of need to wake up from the illusion that there is any kind of neutrality or common ground. Uh, that, yeah. That that's just, that doesn't, ex- if it ever really existed, it was a temporary truth. Wasn't one of your books mm-hmm. that spent the long truce? Yes. <laughs> you remember the long right, truce? By, by A.J. Conyers. Yeah. Right. And the premise is that there was an idea that if we that if we adopt enlightenment values we mm-hmm. can have a truce between two different worldviews and he says the truce didn't work the truce was always essentially a concession of principle to power um and the long truce now is to the degree i i, I agree with conyers i don't think it ever was really a functional truce yeah. i think it was an armistice a, a tense armistice the mm-hmm. truce the truce is over now yeah yeah. And there's going to be free zones and there's going to be non-free zones. Now, I mean, we can fall, we could become, there could be a conservative cancel culture. We have to be careful. We have to be a free zone ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and not just throw everyone out because we say they're a rhino because they said one thing we don't like about vaccines mm-hmm. or Trump or January 6th. We, st- we have to stay a free zone. But anyway, that was a little philosophical uh, speech. Well, I, I agree with you. And, and, and I think I haven't had this conversation with with Abigail it would be interesting too but I I I can't help I would predict that uh, her experience with the promotion of irreversible damage has disabused her of any neutral uh, ground neutral ground ideas yeah 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 I mean it's true that she has uh because of the kind of very narrow ground that she stakes out and what's what she's arguing about, she has been able to make her case in some fora that would not ordinarily be open to conservative writers. And so I wouldn't say it hasn't accomplished something. Uh, she was on what, Joe Rogan's podcast. And that, well, that's that a I, very free zone. The Jafriza, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. Um, but but anyway, no, I I think you're right. It sort of reminds me a little bit of Jordan Peterson, who is by any reasonable definition a liberal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, Jungian psychology, and he says the foundation of all of his thinking is Darwinianism. Yeah. Right? And, but there's a little bit of, but there's a pushback against the extremes of wokeism. And essentially, he's just put him on the pile. That's another 
white supremacist. He's a, right, right, yeah. <laughs> He's Jerry Falwell, right? <laughs> yeah, he's Jerry Falwell, right? And I think that those people um, are beginning to realize um, I, that their um, decency and neutrality bought them nothing. Now that doesn't—you do it if it's right, right? You be- behave decently mm-hmm. and you appeal to facts because it's right. But let's yeah. get rid of any idea that that's going to be cover against against the mobs. The the the, the opinion mm-hmm. molding institutions are are captured. Yeah. We, 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 so it's now to me, it's about building other institutions. Regnery being one of them. Yeah. All right, All right my friend. Any? I, uh, we went past the allotted thirty minutes. Oh, okay. uh, anything else you want to add before we uh, call it a day? I've really appreciated this conversation. Oh uh, no, I'm I just I'm grateful to you for having me on and and uh, bringing bringing this subject up for your for your listeners and uh, tell them to. Uh, Make sure to head to their library or bookstore next year at the end of September for Banned Books Week. <laughs> I, I, here, here's my recommendation. Go buy an actual banned book. Yeah. And it's not To Kill a Mockingbird, and it's not <laughs> some trans thing. You find a lot of them at Regnery uh, mm-hmm. and other conservative publishers. So you want to object to their objection, buy, you know, buy Schreier or, um, or Anderson, et cetera. Tom Spence, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Jerry. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts and improve our national conversation by sharing it with some friends. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.